Tonight, uh, we thought we'd keep you abreast a little bit of the uh, developments that are currently certainly in full-blown full uh, excitement these days. Developments in slob art. I mean, you know, you, I, I feel that uh, any artist's uh, uh, chief uh, debt is to posterity, you know? I mean, you, you, this is a <laughs> kind of a pompous remark, but uh, I feel that it's my, part of my... Uh, debt to uh, society as an artist uh, <clears throat> Brack as an artist to uh, to record passing moments so that you know a hundred years from now if they play the tapes of any of the shows I've done they would know what it was really like very you, you just wouldn't you just wouldn't know by reading Philip Roth or by reading Norman Mailer or even the New York Times editorial that is it is now possible for you today to buy yourself a set of gold Charlie the Tuna jewelry. Now, I think that's a, <laughs> that's a, that's a significant uh, statement of philosophy in our time. You know who Charlie the Tuna is, don't you? Of course, everybody knows lovely Charlie. You know Charlie's always down there, and he always plunks out. Uh, the, the, what is it, the tuna company there? What's the tuna? That uh, chicken of the sea? Chunk? What? Uh, we're getting the information here. You see, there's a true television fan who can tell you uh, who sponsors every commercial. He doesn't know what on, is on the shows. Yes, of course, Star Kissed. Uh, and they're always turning Charlie down, you know. He's, he's, uh, now you can buy Charlie in a set of cufflinks. You can buy him in a key holder. You can buy Charlie in a charm bracelet. Or what is called euphemistically a scatter pin with uh, genuine diamonds. And that's going to be very hard to explain when, when Charlie the Tuna becomes a family heirloom and, uh, you know, 100 years from now, they're trying to figure, what the hell, where did they get this crazy-looking pin with this fish with the glasses on? You know, he's wearing a pair of shades. <laughs> and it's going to be hard to explain our time to posterity, but I'm going to try to do it. That's what I'm doing on the tapes here. <laughs> Charlie the Tuna. Well, now, uh, this is probably... It has to be understood, for those of you who are intellectuals out there, and I'm sure that there are several of you who consider yourselves that, you uh, have to explain this to you, that, that among the great unwashed, the hoi polloi, you know, the, the walking schlumps of the world, that the, that the commercials are the most exciting thing on television, which is quite exactly the opposite that the, uh, the, you know, than the average uh, intellectual feels. He feels that if only commercials were taken off television, somehow magically television would become this beautiful flower of, of uh, verdant uh, intellectuality and magnificent art. Well, that's also questionable. If you've looked at any of the non-commercial channels, you'll find that that doesn't happen often either over there. But uh, <laughs> nevertheless, uh, the, the average walking around guy has a very different attitude towards commercials than the, than the intellectual. In fact, he embraces them. He embra he's the one who wears the Charlie the Tuna cufflinks. Uh, he, he is proud to relate himself with Charlie the Tuna. He doesn't put him down. He, he wants Charlie the Tuna to be with him more. Uh, he's the... <laughs> uh, so so this, is a, this is opening a whole new door. You know, you realize a whole... A whole There's a new door towards personal expression. Now, if you happen to believe in the S.O. Tiger, for example... 
I'm sure that uh, very shortly there will be S.O. Tiger ties available for those of you who want to proclaim your eternal loyalty. Uh, you'll probably be able to get uh, S.O. the Tiger uh, tie clips, you know, with little, little agate eyes. There he is, smiling happily. Uh, for example, uh, how about the... I say that there's a fantastic uh, new field. How about uh, getting yourself... You know that little character that comes out of the uh, biscuit box? That little, wi- little white uh, thing, he comes, he comes out... You know, you've seen these frozen biscuits. That's right. And, she, uh, you know, the, uh, the kid pokes it in the stomach and goes, Oh, you know that one? Well, I'm sure that would make a, you know, that would make a handy. Uh, you can have him done in, in your shirts. You know, you can have a little design, this little character there. He's kind of lovable. And uh, can you think of any other characters that you, you would like to have, uh, you know, forever and ever as part of your life, your lifestyle? Who? Speedy? Alka-Seltzer, the speedy little uh, Alka-Seltzer guy? Is he still around? Speedy Alka-Seltzer, remember him? Yeah, little Speedy Alka-Seltzer. That'd be kind of nice to have Speedy Alka-Seltzer made into wallpaper. You know, a little design of Speedy there. Especially in the John. You know, where you... where you. Uh, but uh, that's... <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, uh, the, the, these uh, these developments should not go unrecorded. Uh, in fact, I'm, I'm right now writing a, a short story where the character broadly shows the girl that he's with at this, at this uh, place. You know, they go down to Gino's, a uh, local hamburger joint. You know, it's a big night, and he's all dressed up, and he proudly shows her his uh, Charlie the Tuna cufflinks. And uh, he then proudly gives her because it's a his and her world. By the way, doesn't that make you almost want to flow up, to use, uh, to use Dorothy Parker's phrase, whenever people have his and her uh, stationary made, uh, so there's something about it when you drive past uh, the suburbs. They go for this kind of thing. A little sign out in the lawn that says uh, the Ostrenschlagers. I don't know what there is about it. It just kind of makes my flesh crawl, you know. Uh, Peggy and Chip Ostrenschlager. says out in front there. <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's just a kind of, it's, it's that kind of, uh, uh, that, that, that jovial togetherness. You can see the two of them, you know, they hate each other's guts now, see. They've been married 28 years, and they can't figure out why the hell they ever did it. You know, what happened? What, where, where did my life go wrong? Uh, and they never want to concede this. It, it only happens in moments of realism, which doesn't happen very often in the average TV-oriented household. You know, and, uh, oh, no, 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 realism does not pop up often in a household like that. Uh, in fact, I, I wonder how many people today whose lives are so saturated with television attitudes. Uh, now, and that's not TV itself. It's it's the drama that's on TV. It's the it's the it's the it's the neatness with which everything is always worked out on television that begins to make people dissatisfied with their own untidy lives. Nothing ever works out as neatly as it does on TV. Now, you take the average sitcom, you know, the, you know that that's a, a technical phrase they use in the business. A sitcom is a situation comedy. Let's take Mary Tyler Moore. Uh, you've seen this. She never gets fired. And everybody depends on her. Oh, they do. You know, the boss, the guy that runs the TV station, you know, you've seen this thing. Everybody depends on her, and at no point does, uh, does uh, Mr. Bullard, or whatever his name is that runs the TV station, call her in and say... Due to uh, the fact that we're uh, now on a fantastic economy kick, uh, we're going to have to let you go. That ends, of course, the whole series. Unless uh, Mary Tyler Moore then pops up as the assistant manager of an A&P, 
which could be very exciting too, you know. <laughs> or Mary Tyler Moore in the unemployment line. But, uh, you know, a 13-week series of excitement. But uh, nevertheless, uh, this it's, everything is so neat on television, even when it's not supposed to be neat. Like uh, I, I watched uh, The Rookies, you know, this cop show the other day, just see what it was about. And, of course, it works out beautifully. It's uh, some kind of a rinky-dink script where, where uh, one of the cops was, uh, curiously enough, uh, kidnapped by Roddy McDowell, which is a very un- unlikely situation to ever develop. That's like being attacked uh, mercilessly by a toy schnauzer. And, uh, being <laughs> but, uh, you know, but nevertheless, uh, Roddy McDowell kidnapped this cop, and uh, he had, uh, he had, a, he had a, what looked like a homing radio. You know, it, actually, what it, was, what it looked like to me was the type of radio that, they are, that, carry, that are carried in aircraft that are emergency radios, the kind that when an aircraft is downed, it sends out an automatic signal, say. And uh, he had this, and uh, what he did, he was hijacking a plane. And uh, this uh, magic uh, transmitter was supposed to be wired up so that if anybody plugged him and he fell over sideways and he was shot, his hand, of course, would go off the switch of this transmitter. And the moment that the switch went off, uh, when the signal was turned off, in other words, uh, it would detonate this bomb that was in the airplane and kill 11 guys that he had trapped in a plane. So it's a very believable script. You can see right away. So uh, the cop gets on the two-way radio uh, and talks back to the uh, home base, and he says, uh, yep, uh, home away from home here. And uh, that was a code to tell them that he was using a homing radio. And that what you do is, oh, you know, it gets very complicated, but the, and when it's boiled down in the end, they got the guy dead to rights, they shot him dead, and uh, they foiled the, 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 the whole, uh, you know, the whole uh, scheme just went down the drain like that. Roddy McDowell was gone forever. And uh, it's just kind of neat, you know. It just worked out beautifully. Just the way it doesn't work out in every hijacking that you read about in the papers. <laughs> so no wonder a guy sitting there watching that, he says, look how easy they did it. What do you mean? How come these idiots out there thought Kennedy can't do that? Well, that's because Kennedy Airport is not, an, uh, not a TV show. And Channel 4 is. In fact, uh, Lee has a great interesting line about that. Lee Brown. Uh, my producer, she's, uh, sometimes I, I watch a TV show and I says, well, how, now why is he doing that? You know, why is he doing that silly thing? How come he doesn't just call the cops? You know, when somebody is uh, blowing up the front of his house. And, I, and she says, in one line, she says, well, because it's a show. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> no known logic <laughs> goes through any kind of a show, you know, if, uh, it's because it's a show. That's why they do that. Or her other line is, well, because it's a commercial. Uh, which is a, a very good line, too, because it, it does explain a lot of things that uh, don't explain your life. Your life is not a show, right? Uh, or sometimes you probably think it's some kind of a farce that was created by the Marx Brothers. But uh, <laughs> nevertheless, it, unfortunately, it's created by the Marx Brothers with no sense of humor. That's even the worst kind of a farce. You know, you get hit on the head with a salami and it's got a brick in the end. And, uh, down you go. But uh, nevertheless, uh, I do feel that many people are really bugged because, you know, their lives don't fit the way that commercials do. Now, when you get saturated with this, you begin to relate to the things which really, which really are part of your life, part of your life. And so, you know, the average guy who is living on tuna salad sandwiches uh, because his wife doesn't have time to make anything else anymore, and, you know, he can't cook, so, you know, she's always at a Gloria Steinem meeting, so... 
he winds up eating tuna salad sandwich. Charlie the tuna is important. In fact, it's sustaining his life. So no wonder he wants Charlie the tuna cufflinks. I mean, after all, it's just a simple religious uh, equation. What what keeps you going? You want to you know you know you want to pay homage, and. Uh, <laughs> You know that I know a guy. Oh, no, you see all kinds of beautiful things. I, I know a guy, and, and he didn't realize how funny it was. I, I That was kind of nice. You, have you ever seen American Express cards, credit cards? Well, he's got an American Express credit card tie. And, uh, yes, it is. It's a green tie, and it's got little tiny American Express cards in the design. It's, you have to be close to it to see that's what it is. But it really says what this guy believes in. I mean, he doesn't believe in damn much in his life, but he does—he does actually have faith in his American credit card, his American Express card. So he's only proclaiming his faith, his basic faith. And uh, <laughs> and and, and uh, don't put him down for it. I mean, uh, just because you happen to believe in the Zoroaster, or and by the way, speaking of uh, incredible beliefs, I'm walking past the, down the village. You see all this stuff. There's a, a placard up. It's a—it's a, it's a uh, you know a little. Little flyer has been pasted on a building. It says, uh, electric. See, they're going to have electric. It says, uh, the rational approach to astrology. <laughs> How's that for a uh, contradiction in terms? But uh, nevertheless, you, know, you see these things. Uh, see these things. That's, like, that's like saying, uh, uh, electric tonight. Uh, at last, the scientific approach and the computer analysis of tea leaf reading. Somehow that makes it official the information from the tea leaves into the IBM and you're going to get the real dope. Uh, so it's, it's all mystic and uh, yard-wide. Uh, you can't put your finger on it, uh, really. It's, uh, it's like some shimmering ghost coming out of a, an ancient swamp of man's superstition. You've got to have something to cling to. And I, I can tell what all of you are clinging to, of course. W-O-R New York. Clinging to it, by God, it's a... It's a... <laughs> it's a... It's a it's a, it's a mile post of reality in your life. And uh, here's a commercial. This will make you feel better. Shepard's official. He's got a commercial here. Yes, sir. Does the thought of driving on snow-covered roads give you the pip? Well, my suggestion is get the hell out and go to the Virgin Islands. But uh, the commercial here says uh, what you need is winter cleat snow tires. Kind of a sad way to resolve your problem. But uh, you can do it uh, uh, down at your general tire dealer. And you're, you know his slogan. You can have it made into a wonderful uh, throw rug for your uh, library. It says, you go in snow or general pays the toll. Have it done in hem-stitching and old English print. In Freeport, ask for John or Jack Miles, J&J Miles Rubber Company, 160 East Merrick Road. I'll take care of you. And uh, how about this one? This is a kind of nice commercial. I like this one. We'll fling it out there as you're going down for the third time in the uh, terrible sea of uh, unreality. Hit him on the head there. Go ahead. American Motors dealers are coming on strong. Coming on strong. Coming on strong. Because we've got the quality in the cars you want to buy. The protection of AIC and a price you're glad to pay. Drive the number one value in a carefree way. 
73 AMC Levi's Gremlin. The only subcompact with a standard six. The only car that wears Levi's. Blue denim look, orange stitching, copper buttons, even the Levi's tag. Now at a special price that really fits. AMC 73. Coming on strong. See your New York, New Jersey American Motors dealer now. Boy, he's a very loud gentleman, isn't he? Certainly shouts at us. What he's all excited about. My old man fixed the seats on the Oldsmobile when I was a kid using blue denim. <laughs> he also used burlap one time. Gramercy Park Close of 64 West 23rd Street in New York says, Mister, just because you're a big-sized guy, that don't mean you can't save money in your clothes. Gramercy Park don't care if you're big or tall, short or fat, or somewhere in between. What's a couple of inches of cloth, more or less? If you've been paying more because hard-to-fit guys always seem to pay more, here's what to do. Go up to the third floor of the factory building at 64 West 23rd Street. Go through the big iron gate. Take one look around at all them good-looking suits, top coats, coats and slacks. When you find out how many of them beautiful clothes actually fit you, whether you're very big or very tall or very short, then you'll know why so many men buy their clothes at Gramercy Park. 64 West 23rd Street, third floor. <clears throat> Read a New York accent. That was pretty good, wasn't it? Yes, sir. You know, uh, speaking of, uh, of, uh, you know, you realize that I'm not, I'm just not blowing wind here when I tell you that that uh, that, that, that the commercial is becoming to most people the one, the one uh, island of reality. It really is. People get all excited. They sit up when a commercial comes on. And uh, you know, I've been. Uh, I've been on television. I had my own TV show a couple of years, you know. And I've still got you know the show on PBS and all that, and then writing for Playboy and radio shows. It's only when I started to do Rheingold commercials, people came up to me and said, "Hey, you star, doing Rheingold, huh?" <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's a kind of warming feeling, you know. You know that uh, that uh, somehow uh, there is something that people can cling to. Which reminds me, you know, you can now get, uh, for your home, you can get uh, lamps made out of your favorite beer cans. That's right. If you happen to like uh, Schlitz or Pabst or, or uh, you know, a Valentine, you can get a Valentine lamp. You let people know where you stand. I mean, after all, uh, brand names are important. Uh, and, and it's what most people believe in. Uh, you... you uh, when, when religion has disappeared, as it has in the 20th century, largely, there are, you know, I mean, as a, as a big going thing. Yeah, I, I bet there's more than one guy that if you woke him up at 3 in the morning, you know, you come in, he's laying in his sack there, see, he's snoozing away. It's the fitful, the fitful, fervid, uh, sweating sleep of a 20th century man, you know. Yeah, you come in there, and he's on his waterbed. Uh, he's got his Valentine lamp over there turned to, uh, turned low, you know. And uh, he's uh, he's got his uh, his automatic uh, uh, Sears Roebuck uh, sleep alarm FM set ready to wake him up to John Gambling in the morning. You know he's a true 20th century man. Everything is plugged in, and uh, you you go in there, you know, and you grab him by the shoulder and say, "Hey, Charlie, wake up!" He's, uh, 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 uh. What are you, Charlie? He's, uh, uh, Pontiac man. Uh, uh, oh, oh, what was that? Well, you got the truth. He's a Pontiac man. He's not a Baptist or a Catholic, or a Jew. He's a Pontiac man. Not even an American. He's a Pontiac man. There are some loyalties that go beyond the trivialities of race, religion, creed, uh, bloodlines. 
No, no, no. They're, they're going to have to do something about that old... Uh, you remember the old canard, blood is thicker than water? Don't you believe it. Oh, no. Brand names are thicker than water. And uh, a man... <laughs> well, there's more than one kid who's got a hell of a lot more loyalty to Yankee Doodles than he has to his family. I'll tell you that. There's more than one kid who believes more fervently in Yoo-Hoo than he does in his old man. So bloodlines are thicker than water. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I just think that, you know, there's, there's all kinds of possibilities in this, this uh, commercial uh, identification thing. I'm not putting it down. I'm just, you know, quoting it this way it is. That, uh, that the, I, I think that the eventually candidates are going to realize this. They're going to realize that the people really firmly. Can you imagine a guy running on the Oldsmobile ticket? And uh, he believes in, you know, or the... <laughs> <laughs> or the General Motors ticket. Uh, he's, uh, you know, all you General Motors fans out there, uh, you know, what are you, what are you, what are you waiting for? You're going to let this guy Nader beat you down into a pulp? You know what you like? Impalas, right? And the crowd, yeah. Uh, all you Pontiac men out there, let's hear it. Ah! Let's hear it for Nader. Boo! And of course, uh, eventually, uh, it's got, it's got to come. There's, there'll, there'll be the anti-AT&T party and the pro-AT&T party. Depends on, the, you know, what your phone bill looks like uh, every month. You know, speaking of, uh, of phone bills, did you did you read about the guy in the paper the other day that, uh, that got a $4,922 phone bill? <laughs> yeah. <it> was, and <laughs> of course, he flipped, you know. And uh, he he went uh, he went down to the phone company and he told him uh, he said, what is this you know his phone bill is usually about you know about sixteen dollars something like that you know fourteen ninety seven and uh, he got this four thousand nine hundred and twenty six dollar phone bill so and he went down and he says what the hell well you know what is this I said well you made four thousand nine hundred twenty six dollars worth of calls we got it right here and uh, they you know they they showed him all the calls he made and and he was dumbfounded and uh, he you know he turns around and he says I didn't make them calls. And they said, well, I'm sorry, I came out of the number. Our machine never is wrong. And he goes home raising, raising cane. You know, he sits around, he's sitting there yelling about the phone company, he's going to call his lawyer, and everybody else is very quiet in the family. And then it turns out that he's got a kid. And uh, the kid every night was sneaking upstairs and calling numbers all over the country. <laughs> Did you hear about that? Yeah, he, was, he, you know, he, he decided he wanted to talk to all the stars that he heard of, see? So he decides he's going to call Ringo Starr, see? So he calls London. And, of course, he doesn't get Ringo Starr, but he gets a $422 phone bill, you know, arguing with the company that <laughs> Ringo Starr records for, something like that, see? And uh, so the guy had to put a mortgage in the house and a whole bit to pay for it. And it was one of those exciting little moments in family drama that just never pops up on TV. You know, you'll never find... Uh, You'll never find Fred McMurray having to deal with that one. And my three sons, you know, it comes down, you know, it comes storming down, and he takes the kid, you know, and he grabs him by the neck, <laughs> shakes him so hard his shoes fly off. So what you do this time? Look at that four thousand nine hundred. You know, <laughs> now that would make a TV show. But uh, you know, how about the TV show where where the kid sneaks into the house, and you can see, you know, his, his jacket's all torn. What a great moment! So the kid sneaks in the house. You can see his jacket all torn up. You know, and he's. He's uh, he's got the one knee of his pants are out. He's sneaking in the house, and uh, and uh, the old man, just by coincidence, is uh, coming into the kitchen, you know, to make himself a Charlie the Tuna sandwich. And he says, "Oh, where you been, uh, uh, Harold? Gee, what happened to your jacket?" 
Harold looks very furtive. Then there's a phone call comes from uh, the local police department. Says, "Hey, we found your uh, your 1972 Pontiac uh, Le Mans. It's wrapped around a pole down here on Route 23. It's on fire. What are we going to do about it? it? Just blew up. It's burning down the field out here. For God's sakes, says you know, 8,000 feet of wire were knocked down. Who was driving your Pontiac tonight? <laughs> Turns around, <laughs> puts the phone down. There's the kid sneaking out with a torn up jacket. You know, you can see why." <laughs> That's the beginning of a, of, a, of a My Three Sons episode. It's going to have some exciting ramifications. Of course, in TV, it would, it would turn out that it was mistaken identity. And, uh, you know, and uh, actually where he got, his, he got his jacket torn because he was making a birthday present for his father. And, uh, oh, you know, oh, <laughs> makes you want to fall up. But uh, uh, no wonder, you know, no wonder people feel a little bugged about their, their, their life, you know. It's, you know, I, I keep thinking of, of, of great alternative scripts uh, for, for TV shows. Uh, and, you know, speaking of, of uh, the commercials on those shows, they always sort of blend in nicely. You know, that uh, they, they never put a commercial on for upset stomach in the middle of uh, My Father Knows Best. Or <laughs> <you know? laughs> but uh, but uh, these, these, uh, these moments of, of reality in life uh, that you run into, it's... Uh, I had a I had a moment like that though. You know, I, I'm serious. I, I had this terrible moment uh, that that involved a phone bill. A real interesting moment. And uh, you know, the phone it's, it's just a conventional phone all the time. Seeing the phone bill, I, I'm not a I'm not a phone cuckoo. In fact, I'm quite the opposite. It's difficult to get me to answer a phone, right, Jerry? I am really not a phone cuckoo. I hate phones. Uh, but nevertheless, one fantastic afternoon, I get a phone bill. That's for about nine hundred and seventy-four bucks. So what the hell, you know? And attached to it, there's about nineteen pages of long-distance phone calls. I mean, to all kinds of cockamamie places, you know, like Eulalie, Mississippi. Weird calls. See, so I said, "What the? Yeah." I said, "What the hell's going on here?" At which point, I, I immediately pick up the phone. This is one time I'm going to call. See, it takes me about maybe an hour and a half to finally get the phone company business office. And I said, what is with the $956 phone bill? And they said, well, uh, these uh, phone calls were uh, charged to your account. I says, what do you mean, charged to my account? I never called you lately, Mississippi. Where the hell is it? I mean, wh why would I be talking to you lately, Mississippi? Look at this one here. It says uh, East, uh, East Sandwich, Kansas. Where's that? Why would I talk 22 minutes to East Sandwich, Kansas? She said, well, I don't know, sir, but uh, we have a... 21-minute uh, call here to East Sandwich. Canada. How about this one? Look at this one. Pomona Heights, Oklahoma. Not Pomona Heights, California. Pomona Heights, Oklahoma. What's this? She said, I'm sorry, sir, but you did call 17 minutes to Pomona Heights, Oklahoma. I said, what are you talking about? This is insane. Well, it, uh, after a lot of yelling and hollering, it turns out that this was this is what it, it, it involved. Somebody had a, had a credit card what would the, I don't don't ask me how it worked. I don't know, but it was some salesman was making telephone calls on a credit card, and uh, somehow his credit card was crediting calls to my phone number, and uh, it was a very complicated thing. See, and and uh, how did the phone company react to that? Do you think the phone company says, "Gee, I'm sorry, sir," but uh, that was a, she says, "Well." Uh, she says, well, uh, that's true. She said, uh, this time it, uh, it, it did turn out to be that way. She says, yes, that's right. She says, this time it did turn out to be a mistake. The salesman, uh, uh, there was a problem there with the credit card. 
And, and her, the tone in her voice was, don't let this happen again, though. I mean, that is hanky pink. The next time, you're going to pay. I mean, the next time we screw up, you're going to pay. You know? <laughs> I said, well, you know. <laughs> but uh, these, these, are, these are exciting moments, you know. Uh, the, the terrible moments. Like the time, of course, I had one happen like that. One time. The other side. Have you ever, have you ever had a mistake in your favor? You have. My God, you're ahead of the game, friend. Well, I did. I had one. Uh, I, I, I've never had a mistake made in my favor that I can count on, that I can look back and say, that I can honestly say there was a mistake that was made in my favor. Before we go any further, speaking of mistakes here, I'm almost past the time here for this exciting commercial, which I'm sure all of you want to hear. It's, uh, it's a general tire there. They're warning you. The snow is coming, friend. And unless you've got your winter cleats on, the general winter cleats, you'll all be sorry, man. Wide, sure-footed, 78 series profile, magnificent winter cleat snow tires. And you remember their uh, deathless slogan. It's, it, in fact, it's on their flag, the general tire flag. It's right there under the stars. You go in snow or general pays the dough. And uh, let's see. we got a couple of places you can find. If you, if you live in, uh, well, let's take uh, Freeport, for example. You can ask for John or Jack Miles, J&J Miles Rubber Company, out of 160 East Merrick Road, and you just run in there and holler, you know. I don't go in snow, you pay the dough. All right, everybody, let's dance. And now, the continuing adventures of Shoe Town's own Super Shoes. We return to the exciting case of The Gang That Stole Santa. Super Shoe, the members oh, no. of the World Police Force are delighted that you can help us. Cavendish, Scotland Yard here. Glad to have you aboard, Super Shoe. While you're flying about the world looking for great values in first quality name brand shoes for the entire family I for that Marshall chap in his Shoe Town stores, you might keep a weather eye out for this clause, fellow. Yes, Super Shoe. We know that your shoe buying trips take you to Italy, France, South America, the complete tour. And in our hour of need, you're really the only one we can turn to. Santa Claus missing. And only Shoe Town Super Shoe can find him. Why be circling the globe looking for famous brand shoes to sell at incredibly low Shoe Town prices? By George. Operative 712 of Scotland Yard here. Yeah. Super Shoe has sturdy ski-mobile boots to keep your children's feet warm and dry. And there at Shoe Town through Saturday for just $5. This could be an important clue. These first-quality boots feature vinyl construction with nylon covering, plus fleece lining to keep the warmth in. That's warm, protective ski-mobile boots for kids. They're elementary, just $5 this week at Shoe Town by George. And now we have, it says reading the French accent. Do I have a, a one full minute here? One. If you like to enjoy the French wines with your meals, with your kasha, but think it's too complicated and too expensive, you should think again. It says pronounced shink again. All you have to remember about French wine is one name, Alexis Lachine. The Alexis Lachine Company selects the right wines, the reds, the whites, the rosés, and they are poured then into gracious, curvaceous, distinctive bottles to grace your elegant table in Queens and Flushing. So... I would like to suggest that you pick a bottle of magnificent Alexis Lachine wine. It's imported by Bass Charrington Vintners of New York. And now, that little ding-dong. Christmas fun time here on WOR again. Every year at this time, it's been going on for a long time. It's one of the really great charities of New York. 
and they make uh, kids happy in various hospitals by giving them Christmas gifts and so on. So send your check and money order, or money order, to, and here's the address, WOR Christmas Fund, Box 710, Times Square Station, New York, and the zip is 10036. That's Box 710. You know our frequency. We're very clever like that. All right, everybody, let's dance. Well, uh, you know, one other one other thing happened. I, I, I had a great moment like that. Uh, you know, the mistake. Have you ever, you ever, you know, sometimes, sometimes when, when something happens to you, it, 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 it sometimes feels like it's almost a fantasy, like, like uh, it's, it's some kind of a delirium thing that's occurring to you. The first time that I realized you've got to be on your toes, man, you've got to watch yourself, always, is one time, I, the first time I ever had a new car in my life, I won't even tell you what kind it was, because if Nader heard, he'd love it. But I, I bought this new car. Bill, have you ever had a new car hang up? Uh, uh, something happened to you that you couldn't believe? Anyway, I bought this new car. See, and it was the first time in my life I ever bought a new car. Gee, you had a fantastic feeling. Think, God, it's a new car. Put the key in the, in the, in the switch, you know, turn it out for the first time. You drive out. You could smell all that new upholstery. I was really excited about it, see. So I had this new car. It came, uh, you know, with all the plates on it, the safety stickers and all that stuff. And at that time, I was living in a state where you have to get your car checked by a safety sticker, a safety check, every six months. So I'm babying this car. I mean babying it, man. You know, the kind of thing, you know, where every time I jump out of it, I take this little cloth, you know, and I dust it off. You know, you go through that phase of your life, and uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, any time a dog would even walk near the, the, the wheels, you know, I'd jump out of it, get out of here, you slob, get out, go over, do that on a tree, you know, they all... That kind of stuff, say, very, very careful about my car. And I would tell people to take their shoes off before they got in the car, you know. And uh, nobody smokes a cigar in my car. You know, I had pristine, virginal ashtrays and that kind of stuff. Say, oh, man. So about a week before the safety sticker is up, I have maybe about, uh, you know, a, a cool, uh, uh, maybe a cool 800 miles on the car at this point. I'm babying. I mean, in fact, I wouldn't even drive the car. I'd push it a lot of the way, you know. I wouldn't. I want to drive the car. So I take it into the safety stick. Beautiful, shiny cars. And I go through the safety lane. And this, they, these guys really checked your car in this state. The state, in case you're curious, was Ohio. I mean, they put it up on the rack. and the, they, sh- they had a machine that would shake the front end. You know, they, they, yeah, they put it under your, under your front tire. It, it tells whether you've got play in your steering wheel, if your kingpins are shot, and all that stuff. See? So I'm standing very happily by my car. It is Probably going through the safety sticker lane, you know. I could see all the other guys with the old clunks, you know. They're arguing and yelling, and they're, you know they're towing their cars away and all that stuff. And I'm very proud. And so I get to the end of the line where they give you the safety sticker, and the guy hands me a red tag. He says, uh, "Sorry, buddy, forget it. You can bring this car back in ten days." He says, uh, "You got ten days to get it fixed, and uh, after that you can't drive the car." And I said, "What do you mean? It's a new car. It's got 800 miles on it." So sorry, says your your front end, your kingpins are all worn out. Your car just shimmies like hell. I swear, the front end, the tie rods are worn. These tie rods are worn, kingpins are gone shot. You're going to have to get that front end fixed. Next car, bump. What the hell? So, <laughs> and by the way, it was it was already past the warranty time. See, they had this this thirty day, this ninety day thing, you know, or five million miles, which you can never reach. You're always going to reach 90 days quicker, see? So, anyway, it's past the warranty. So, 
I take it back to the dealer. I, I got to get this thing fixed. See, so I take it in the in brand new beautiful car. See, so I take it into the into the dealer in this tremendous dealership. You know, five thousand guys with white these white coveralls on. You know, with the big blue signs on the back of them. They looked official as hell. See, so I drive the car in, and I said, uh, I said, look at this. I said, look at they're crying out loud. My front end. I go, sorry, it's past the warranty time. And he takes one of these little jacks. He sticks on He pumps. Oh, I said, look at the shot. You must have been hitting the curb. Oh, oh probably hitting the curb, banging it in. Hey, uh, hey, Charlie, another one of them bill dock drivers. Can you not hit a... All right. I said, okay, fix the front end. What's it going to be? He said, well, you need new tie rods. You need new kingpins. And I'll uh, check the bearings. But uh, they look pretty loose. Uh, they'll be uh, uh, no less than 75 bucks plus labor. Well, that's where they really get, you see. So I says, when can I get it? He says, well, you can get it tomorrow afternoon at 3. So the next day I rush in, Donna, you know, and I got my checkbook out. I got my life savings, see, <laughs> ready, to, ready to rack it out, see. And they give me the bill, 146 bucks. And I says, what? He says, 146 yeah. He says, that was, a bad, that was a mean one. Had to realign it. Had a, uh, all kinds of stuff. You you know, you you really must have been banging that front end, fella. And I said, uh, well, gee, you know, you got to get fixed. You got to get fixed. So I write out the check, 146.50 to the Whoopie Mobile Company for services to my Whoopie Mobile 8. And uh, I'm very pleased now. At least I know my car is fixed. You know? So I drive out, and I drive down the street, and I drive around the corner, and I drive to the safety place, right? So Shepard comes into the safety place. See, now I say, well, you know, I'm cool. And so it's going through the thing. They check the lights. They check, <coughs> they check the horn. Works great. They check the, you know, they check the windshield wiper. <laughs> they work fine. And I get to the end of the line. The guy says, what are you trying, Mac? He says, uh, okay. sorry, fella. He says, you're not going to pull that on us. Come on now. He says, I just checked this car a couple of days ago. And uh, <laughs> nothing's happened since then. Boom, bam. He gives me a red ticket. I says, what are you talking about? I just got that fixed. He says, look at these things. He puts the machine on. I said, here, I got a receipt. He says, get out of here with your receipt, your cockamamie receipt. I can tell him. Look at those. The kingpins are shot. Look at those. Look at those tie rods. Good God. I go back to the service station. Now I'm bugged. This time I do something different, though. I drive the car in. Just drive it in. And eight mechanics come running over with the white things, you know. And I says, hey, said the fellow... Something funny. The front end of the car is making a funny clunk of noise. And he says, oh, well, let me take a look. And he pushes a little thing on him. He pumps it up. And he says, oh, he says, look at that. He says, your tie rods are all shot. Your kingpins are gone. What the hell? He says, boy, oh, boy. It's a... I says, you son of a gun. I says, get the service manager. And he says, oh, hey, Leo, here's another one. And uh, Leo comes over, a big, tough-looking guy with a white jacket, you know. I says, uh... This mechanic here tells me the tie rods and the kingpins are bad. Would you take a look at him? He looks at me. He says, ah, look at it. You've been bumming a coin. Look at that. Hey, tie rods are shot. I reach in and I take up my receipt. I says, you guys just charged me $146.20 to fix these babies yesterday. Oh, well, that, uh, obviously somebody put the wrong ticket on your card. It's a mistake. You know, fella, you really should, uh, when you come in like this, you should really make sure that you get the right ticket. Immediately, he's putting me on the defensive. I get the word even right ticket. I says, what do you mean, right ticket? I says, this is a ticket he gave me. Oh, well. He says, hey, you know what, uh, Mac, you got one of them, them, them scoops. You got to give him the right ticket, will you? These guys don't know what ticket they got. 
He said, well, leave it here. I'll, I'll take care of it overnight. He says, it'll only be, uh, uh, be, uh, four, uh, it'll be only, uh, oh, about $34, $35 uh, labor charge. I said, what do you mean you charge me this? Well, of course, there's a big pregnant moment. And it was one of those very few moments when I, you know, I, I my, my hand began to itch. See, right next to my hand on a workbench, there was a large Stilson wrench. And he saw that, that I was not going to talk anymore. Either I was going to kick in the side of the building. He said, ah, look, he says, I'll give you a break. Smack there gave you the wrong ticket. A little inconvenience. We'll fix it up for you. Don't worry about it. And the next day I went through the safety lane. Everything was fine. But I learned a lesson. And that reminds me, by the way, if you'd like a set of tires that really work, we'd like to recommend General Winter Cleats. And if you'd like to find out where to get them, if you live in Newark, see Matt Kiselsich at General Tire Company, 170 Clinton Avenue, at General Tire Service. That's all there is to it. That's all there is to it. Just keep your eyes open, friends. <laughs> but then there was one time when I was working as an office boy in this gigantic steel mill. You talk about mistakes. I, I don't... I just doubt very much whether you have any idea of how low-paid an office boy is working in a steel mill. He is paid so low that uh, sometimes they, they, they don't even bother to give him a paycheck. You know? I mean, like if, if, uh, if you charge a set of safety shoes against him or something like that, forget it. I mean, you still own three weeks pay after, you know. <laughs> so one day I go down to the, to the cashier's window to get my paycheck, which usually came to something like for the week's work, something like uh, $19.70. That was take-home pay, see. So I go into the line there, and I get my check, and it comes in an envelope, which I see an envelope on the side with the glass front on it. I stick it in my pocket, and I carry it there for two days. And that Tuesday, following the Friday payday, I take out my paycheck. I'm in the bank, see? And I just hand it to the window. I say, could you please uh, deposit this for me? And I made out the slip, my usual $19.61. And the guy turns to me. You know, the teller opens it up. He says, hey, what, what are you giving me here, Mac? I said, what do you mean? He says, what are you giving me here? He says, uh, you didn't make out your deposit slip correctly. He says, it's $2,722.19. I said, what? I got a paycheck for one week for $2,722.19. Now, the question is, did I tell him at the mill or not? I'll let you decide. This is WOR New York. Uh, you wondered why I left the mill so fast? Uh, uh, stay tuned for Lester Smith and the news. This is the news in detail on the hour from the WOR newsroom. Dr. Henry Kissinger talked in Washington today. Gone government special envoy Nguyen Phu Duc for the final time before Kissinger heads back to Paris for next week's meetings with the North Vietnamese. In Saigon, government sources said a secret directive had been issued to the top South Vietnamese officials telling them to prepare for a ceasefire. And there are rumors that President Nixon has sent South Vietnam's President Chu an ultimatum accept the terms with the draft peace treaty with Hanoi as the United States has worked them out. The lethal device of the terrorists, the hidden bomb, hit Dublin, Ireland tonight. 
Police now say that two people were killed as two bombs exploded in the center of the city. One blast was outside the skyscraper headquarters of the Irish trade unions. A few minutes later, the other bomb went off outside a department store. At least 60 persons were injured. The bombings apparently spurred the lower house of Ireland's parliament to approve Prime Minister Jack Lynch's bill aimed at smashing the Irish Republican army inside Ireland. Lynch has called a special session of the Irish Senate for tomorrow to ratify the measure that would force jailed IRA suspects to prove their innocence when arraigned before a special court. We'll have more news after this. It's here. What so many shoppers have been waiting for, the big Christmas issue of the New York Times Book Review. In Sunday's Times, you'll find more than 100 pages filled with book-giving ideas on new sports books, art books, books on photography, cooking, gardening, home repair. There's also an extra helpful list with brief reviews of 250 outstanding new books, plus a special list of five books that the Times editors think are particularly significant. So to help solve your holiday gift problems, make sure you see Sunday's New York Times book review. Also, in Sunday's New York Times magazine, you'll learn what's happened to the astronauts, the 31 Americans who have journeyed into space. Where are they now? Have they kept the heroic images? Or did they turn out to be very human after all? Read A Come Down from the Moon, the story of spacemen who have come down to Earth. It's in Sunday's New York Times magazine. And to arrange home delivery of the Times, just call MU7-0700, area code 212, MU7-0700, the New York Times. WR Radio News Time, two and a half minutes after 11 o'clock. Now for the latest on the Long Island Railroad Strike Talks, WR's Bob Brady with a live report from the International Hotel at Kennedy Airport. The Long Island Railroad Strike will not be settled tonight, but there has been a break in the deadlock negotiations. Anthony DeVonzo, spokesman of the Coalition of 12 Non-Operating Unions, announced earlier this evening the time had come to unlock the deadlock, and the unions were taking the initiative by reducing their demand for a 36% increase on a one-year contract retroactive to last January 1st by about 8%. They sent their proposal to Dr. William Ronan and the railroad bargaining team about 6 p.m. Dr. Rowan says he will not react until he has given the proposal a thorough study. The management team went to dinner about 9 p.m. without comment. They're back again. There is still no reaction from Ronan. No word if face-to-face negotiations will be held tonight. At the moment, Dr. Ronan and Railroad President Walter Schlager are studying a staff report on Devonzo's proposal.